a couple of ground rules before we launch into things. Um, it is our desire to be out of here at 745, and, and the way that we're going to do that is uh, we're going to try to stick rigidly to the clock, and then about uh, right as I'm about to close, uh, we, uh, just as a little bit of background, uh, I went to the choir and asked them if they wanted to uh, rehearse at 650 until 750 or whether they wanted to be a part of this and then go rehearse. It was uh, their overwhelming desire to be a part of this. So the choir will be practicing or rehearsing after our Bible study and then the committee meetings that we are so uh, uh, prone to have around here, uh, they will begin at that hour too. So uh, right before I pray, uh, I will say if you have a committee meeting or if you're a part of the choir, you need to be dismissed now. And then uh, as they file out, I'll close this with prayer and the rest of us will leave and go home. So we'll let them get out of here first and let them get... The, the real goal, of course, is to get kids home so that they... Um, uh, it's a school night and we feel like if they can get out by uh, 8.45 before 9, get them in bed by 9, all will be well. So that, that's our plan. Now, if you've got a copy of God's Word, and I sure hope you do, uh, you might want to turn it to the book of Romans. It, of course, is found in the New Testament. Uh, it is the first of the epistles uh, after the Gospels, and then, of course, the book of history uh, known as Acts, and then unfolds the book of Romans. Before I read the text, I want to say a couple of words by way of introduction to any Bible study that, that I ever teach. Um, just three or four things uh, introduct introductorily. Um, gang, um, when God's Word is studied, the result of that study should be worship. When we, when we finish uh, handling the, the truth of God, what should uh, uh, result in us and create in us is a group of worshipers. This is not just uh, any uh, ordinary book that we're studying. Uh, this is... Um, not like a book that you study down at Borders over a cup of cafe mocha. Uh, this is the, the Word of God, and when we have studied it and studied it rightly, that is, in seeking to understand and apply it, um, we have grappled with the very mind of God. And, and having done that, that should evoke from us worship. That's the goal of any and every Bible study. Uh, keep that in mind as we begin. There is a sense that I, I, I wanted to, in fact, I, I asked my wife about this idea. She didn't like it, so we didn't do it. Uh, I was going to get a little medal, a little whatever, something or other, uh, to give to everyone who was here tonight. And then when we're finished with this thing, seven or eight years from now, um, we were going to find out how many of those people had the little medals. I thought it would be a fun little thing, you know, uh, uh, seven or eight years from now. Uh, but, I, but she didn't think it was a good idea, so we, we didn't do it. Um, but... Uh, you are on, and it's an historic beginning. We're going to spend uh, our Wednesday nights, at least in the fall and the winter, uh, studying the, the text of the book of Romans, and we'll find out more about uh, its importance in a moment. But uh, I did last Sunday publish a schedule. Remember the little green thing that we handed out at the door? Uh, and I had in there uh, certain titles of what we're going to do and study, etc. Well, may I invite you to ignore it? Uh, it was only an advertising device. It was intended to uh, pique your interest, hopefully, that you would get here and find out that we're studying the book of Romans. Because, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you've ever studied, um, well, at least with me, you never know how far you're going to get. You know, I'm ready to go through, you know, 
oh, nine or ten words tonight. Um, but I, I don't know that we'll get that far. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but you just, you, you know, um, uh, it, I, hopefully it will be the Holy Spirit that will, that will determine and set our pace. I've often wondered how those guys who preach on television and radio, who have a defined period of time that they can, they can do this thing, I've often wondered what they would do if the Holy Spirit suddenly broke out upon them. Uh, I'm sorry, we can't go forward. We'll have to uh, take a commercial break here. Uh, even though, uh, you know, God is doing something. Um, but we're not going to have that kind of restriction. We'll, we'll move at a pace. Hopefully, it will be Holy Spirit-inspired, and uh, uh, we certainly hope it is. By the way, just one other housekeeping uh, item uh, before I move any further. We start at 6.50. That's a change. We felt like uh, Bob Wood had uh, plenty of food that he could consume in 50 minutes, and any more than that was too much. So, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so the, the music starts at 6.50, and we'll be through at 6, uh, 7.45. Now, um, I'll do my best to stay on that schedule that I, that I published for you, but don't count on it. Uh, it, was just, it was just an advertising device. We'll, we'll hopefully move at the pace that God uh, allows us to go. Now, uh, the final thing I want to say by way of introduction has to do with an illustration that I love to use. In fact, you've heard me use it before. Forgive me if it's uh, too repetitive, but it, it explains why uh, the Bible is studied and why it need be studied. I want to use this illustration about a, a, a Marine drill sergeant who um, gathers his troops and, you know, in the boot camp, you know, it's, uh, it's a period of boot camp, and uh, all these raw marine recruits come to uh, be trained to be men, you know? And uh, so they go through this, this rigorous, uh, whatever it is, nine weeks of training, and they come to the end of their training uh, regimen, and it's the final day. It's the final day of their training, and it's, uh, they're at the final exam of their training. This is the final exam, and uh, the, the, the DI steps in front of uh, these guys and says, now, gentlemen, we have one final assignment for you, one final assignment, and here it is. You see that minefield out there? And they say, yes, sir, yes, sir, we see it. Well, we want you to cross that minefield. And, uh, gentlemen, the only difference today is the mines today are real ones. I mean, I know we've practiced for nine weeks with them being firecrackers out there, but today, those mines in that field they're real, and if you trip one of them, it'll blow you to smithereens. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, were I one of those recruits, I'd want to know, well, you know, Sergeant, could you, uh, could you, tell, us, uh, where, could you tell us where the landmines are? <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, son, I wouldn't dream of telling you where they are. It's part of the fun. Now, go on and get across it. Now, the, the, the illustration I hope will serve my point. Uh, you wonder, perhaps, what that is. Um, what I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, is that the Bible is a book that gives us a route through the minefield. Every one of you know that what you live in is a pretty complex um, environment. There are all kinds of things waiting for you out there to blow you to smithereens. A, a wrong turn here, a wrong uh, lunch there, and it'll blow you to smithereens. And what I'm suggesting is that the Bible steers us around the minds, the things that will destroy us. And there is nothing, ladies and gentlemen, more practical than studying 
that which will allow me to avoid my own self-destruction. And so what we have here is the mind of God in print. We have the mind of God as black words on a white page. It is the stuff that steers us around the minefields. And that's why it's so, so critically important that we study this book. Now, before we read any of the text, let me just give you uh, a little bit of introduction to the book of Romans. That was an introduction to Bible study in general. Just a, just a word of introduction to the study of Romans. Perhaps you've noticed, or perhaps you realize, that the first epistle uh, in the New Testament is the book of Romans. You have the first four Gospels, then you have the book of Acts, which is an historical book, and then the first epistle that appears, the first letter that appears. An epistle, ladies and gentlemen, is not a female apostle. It's a letter. Uh, the first letter that appears is the book of Romans. Now, why? Why is Romans first up? Well, it's not first up because it's the, the earliest written. That uh, honor would fall to the book of First Thessalonians. It is not first in order because uh, it's longest. That honor would uh, be First Corinthians is longer than the book of Romans. The reason, I think, that the book of Romans is situated first in this uh, section of epistles is because that apparently in the history of the church she saw that there was no book more important than the book of Romans when it came to, to the to settling a doctrinal foundation there was nothing nothing more important than the book of Romans it is a book ladies and gentlemen that contains everything from top to bottom acre uh, uh, soup to nuts Everything's in here. If you only had one book that you took into confinement with you and you wanted to be a systematician theologically, the book that you would want is the book of Romans. It, is, it contains it all, ladies and gentlemen. And, and I think the, the, the Christian church recognized that it was so complete, where, whereas the other letters were um, um, not as complete. And not only that, ladies and gentlemen, there has never been a book that has played the role in the, life of the history, in the life and history of the Christian church as the book of Romans. No book has been more important to the development of the Christian church as the book of Romans. Uh, almost every great stalwart in the faith that you can think of somehow traces his beginning back to the book of Romans. For instance, does the name Augustine ring a bell. Probably the greatest mind the Christian church ever produced. Augustine or Augustine, St. Augustine of Hippo. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a town in Africa. Um, he was born in a, a, a Tatiste or something. It's in Algiers or Algeria, excuse me. Um, he was born in 354. He had a, a pagan father and a Christian mother. And um, Augustine was going to be a, uh, a lawyer, and so he studied at the University in Carthage. He decided he didn't like that and began to study Platonism and became a philosophy nut. And it, through his study of Platonism, uh, became uh, repudiated Christianity entirely. He lived a debaucherous life, um, had a mistress for 15 years, by which he had sired a son. And... Um, um, 
he was trying to move on and up in his teaching career. He moved to Rome and then to Milan. And it was there in Milan that he came under the sway of the, of the great rhetorician uh, Ambrose. And, and as the story goes, that it was under Ambrose's ministry that he was converted. But um, as the story goes, it is that uh, Augustine was in a garden and he heard uh, some child who was singing um, Toli Leggy, Toli Leggy, Toli Leggy. And it's a, a Latin phrase which means take up and read. Take up and read. And so he returns to his house, finds the Bible, opens it, and it falls on Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let me read you those. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Augustine points back to Romans 13 as the thing that began his whole Christian experience. Do you know the story of Martin Luther? Martin Luther, as you know, in his own uh, agonizing struggles, paid a visit to Rome. And while in Rome, visited St. Peter's Cathedral. And there at St. Peter's, he is climbing up the stairs, the Scala Sancta. Have you ever heard of the Scala Sancta? These are, these are stairs that supposedly were delivered to Rome by angels and the stairs that were in front of Pilate when Jesus was, uh, was uh, um, tried before Pilate. Those stairs, the Scala Sancta, supposedly, were flown to Rome by angels. I don't believe it. But anyway, that's the story. And so uh, Luther is uh, paying a visit to Rome, and he is climbing up the stairs on his knees, step by step, kissing each step as he goes, until he gets to the top where there is this plate, and underneath the plate, supposedly, is a drop of the blood of Jesus. And so if you get up there and you kiss that, then a lot of your ears are taken off purgatory. And so he's climbing up the stairs arduously and painfully, and the text that began to thunder in his existence was a text that we will study this fall. It comes from Romans 1, verse 17, which says, The just shall live by faith. And he said it kept ringing in his ears, The just shall live by faith. And he picked up his skirts, ran down the stairs, and the Protestant Reformation began. Another great leader in the Christian church that points to the book of Romans. John Bunyan does the same thing. John Wesley, the founder of um, the Methodist movement, it was in a Bible study with a group of Moravians, and one of the Moravians was reading from the preface of Martin Luther's commentary on Romans, where, Jonathan, where John Wesley was confronted with the truth and thus uh, embraced, and of course, you know what he did, that's all history. Just one other quote from Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Now, he's not particularly known as a a great friend of Orthodox Christianity. But Samuel Taylor Coleridge says this, and I quote, The book of Romans is the profoundest piece of writing in existence. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is what you and I are going to spend nine years studying. <laughs> the profoundest piece of literature in existence. And I, and I think you, will, you may not agree with Coleridge, 
completely, but you will find, I'm sure, that when we're finished, this is a, this is a stroke, this is a collection of genius. Hard truths, great truths, comforting truths. But ladies and gentlemen, it's all here in the book of Romans. You know, um, I am, I, my training is out of Presbyterian circles, as you know. Uh, not everybody in this church uh, comes out of Presbyterian circles, and I still doubt their salvation. Um, <laughs> but that's just a joke. Um, but um, we, we Presbyterians, we reformers, we call this our book. This is our book. We love this book and love it for many good reasons, but others have before. Now, Having said all that by way of introduction, let me read to you the first seven verses of chapter one. We will not cover that far, but let me read to you the first seven verses. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever. I want to draw your attention to three or four questions for the night, and then we'll, we'll quit and we'll resume next week, and I hope you'll hope to see you then. But uh, just a, a couple of things that uh, help you understand a little bit as we begin. First of all, the author. He's mentioned in the first word. Uh, it is, of course, the Apostle Paul. Uh, here, this man who was the uh, once crazed Jew. You remember how crazy he was? He says, as according to zeal, he says in Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6, according to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He was the one that held all their coats when they stoned Stephen and all this. Here's this crazed Jew who is now writing a letter describing the Christian faith to Gentiles. He was, he was trained as a Jew. He was born and uh, reared in a Gentile city known as Tarsus. He, was, um, uh, he what, was a Roman citizen, as you know. My, my simple point is, who could be better, who could be more perfect to write a letter to Gentile Christians in Rome than, than Paul? You, you see, just um, by the selection of the author, the great sovereignty of God providing and using a man's, all of his life's training, preparing him to deliver something that he wanted delivered. Um, there, there was nobody that could have done it better and been better equipped and better trained for this job, that is to write this letter, than Paul. Uh, which prompts me to say just three or four or five things in terms of just application, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you realize that, um, that the distribution of supernatural as well as natural gifts are the result of God's sovereign decree. That is, he dispenses as he wills. I had a man in my office today, and he told me, you know the thing I do best? 
I fixed computers and cars. And I thought, who are you? I can't imagine anyone equipped to fix computers and cars. Somebody's got a gift to fix computers and cars. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gift of God. That natural ability, even that, is something that God gave you. Supernatural gifts, you have the gift of mercy, do you? You have the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism. I delight in that. But understand, understand that those were given you by the sovereign dispensation. He dispenses as he wills. And, ladies and gentlemen, Paul goes out of his way in the book of Corinthians to point out that those gifts are not to be gloried in. They're not to take pride over. What you have, the way that God has wired you, the way that God has equipped you and gifted you, is something that's to humble us, not make us boast. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you, um, if you have a tendency to do so, then I invite you to read Daniel chapter 4. And Nebuchadnezzar, who walks around his city and says, Whoa, boy, have I done a great job, uh, you know, building up this city. And then God hears in heaven and says, Well, we're going to see what a great job you have done. He turns him into a cow. He eats grass for whatever it is that he eats it for. Because he failed to remember, ladies and gentlemen, that, that what he has, he got it by sovereign gifting. Um, gang, um, also I think I can say, when you look at the person of Paul and the genius of Paul, Christianity puts no premium on ignorance. I'm telling you, gang, the average person who attends a, a church on Sunday morning doesn't know much. I had an occasion just recently, a, a, a dear sister in this church um, put into my hand um, some excerpts from a book um, that her sister, who lived in another state, had been, who had gotten somehow. And uh, the, the girl in this church asked me to read them and see what I thought. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot understand how the Christian church has gotten so blasted ignorant that this kind of thing could be passed off as anything approaching Christianity. It was Hinduism. It was New Age. It was all a collection of gobbledygook uh, asking us to find our, uh, the, the God within us. It was awful. It was the worst piece of literature I've had in my hand in years. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I think we, we got this little girl out there in this other state whose church has failed her. There is no premium on ignorance, ladies and gentlemen, not in the Christian church. We ought to be the best of thinkers. We ought to be the, the lead when it comes to thinking and, and, and our ability to do so. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, another thing I think this says is that do you know how the Bible was written? Do you believe, let's see, um, we believe that the Bible is God's Word, don't we? Do we believe that God wrote the Bible? No, we don't. We do not believe that. We believe that God inspired the Bible, but we don't believe that He wrote it. He didn't pen it. Paul penned it. John penned it. Peter penned it. But what God does is take people who are wrapped up in their own sin and, and takes, it's called organic inspiration or almost incarnational. 
then he takes all the giftings, all the things that he's built into. I mean, I think of Paul, all those years of training in Judaism. God put it all to work. He used it all. Because, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> he has, he, he's sovereign in the way he's gifted you. And then he takes those gifts and uses them to his own glory. And then, by the way, one other quick thing. This is one of those things that I, I always love to say. When you read Paul, ladies and gentlemen, you are going to read something that is, that is unparalleled genius. Um, when you read John, you're going to find something very simple. I am the way. I am the light. That's very simple Greek. But when Paul writes, he writes, he makes up words. He takes two Greek words and puts them together. And, and you know, uh, you've heard me use this phrase. They are called hapax legomena. They appear one time. Most of the hapaxes in the New Testament are Paul's because he creates words to say what he wants to say under the inspiration of the Spirit. My, my point is simply this. Ladies and gentlemen, I came to know Christ as an arrogant, pompous, self-absorbed, loud-mouth, obnoxious... Do you want to add anything? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And I want you to know, some 30 years later, I'm still arrogant. I'm still loud-mouthed. I'm not obnoxious at all. <laughs> that's, that's enough for another laughing over there. Um, but, but the point I, I, I'm simply trying to make, gang, is... When I came to know Jesus Christ, he didn't drain me of my personality. He asks me to change my, or eliminate sin from my personality. But he didn't ask me to become you. I remember when I went to seminary, there was a guy, uh, his name was John Musselman. John Musselman is over in Atlanta right now. He's a dear brother. And he is, um, he, he's really being used of God. But he's a neat guy. And I wanted to be like John. And I kept telling John, you know, gosh, boy, I'd like to be like, you know, but, you know, every time I tried, he was meek. <laughs> That's hard for me. <laughs> um, but, but the point is, guys, do I have sin in my personality? That's got to go. But God made me this. And he made you that. And he wants to use the exact way that he's wired you. Because very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, you need me. But I need you too. And he jumbles up a bunch of oddballs like us in a church together. And he gets a job done because he, has, he, he takes these personalities that he's woven and he uses them to advance his, call, his, his, his the, the kingdom of his son. Okay, now that's who it is that's writing the book. Let me show you who it is to whom it is written. It's mentioned in verse 7, of course, to all who are in Rome. Um, we'll come back to verse 1 next week, I promise. But this letter is being written to Christians in Rome. And the fact that there are Christians in Rome is a marvel in and of itself. Um, how is it that, you can, that, that people can become Christians in the pit of moral degradation? <laughs> the same way they become Christians in Memphis. The same way they become Christians in Grace Evangelical Church, ladies and gentlemen, it is the power, it's the marvel of the gospel. The gospel that takes people and makes them, makes them brand new. But the fact that, that Christians are to be found 
in Rome says a lot about the power of the gospel. How would they become Christians? Well, it wasn't through Paul's ministry, ladies and gentlemen. He never visited Rome. He mentions that in um, verses 10 and 11 of uh, Romans 1. Uh, the date of the writing of the book of Romans is somewhere around the, uh, 58 A.D., which would put it around the end of his third missionary journey, which is recounted for you in Acts chapter 20. So what, what's going on in Acts chapter 20 is about 58 A.D. This was written about somewhere in there. Paul had never visited Rome yet. So they didn't come to know the Lord through Paul. And they didn't come to know the Lord through Peter. You can check that out in chapter 15, verse 20. Um, but let me show you how they did become Christians. Turn, if you've got your Bibles open, to Acts chapter 2. We've got to hurry. Uh, we ain't got but six more minutes. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is the day of Pentecost. Let me read you um, verse 10. Uh, he's mentioning all the people who are in the audience, and he says, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Gang, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on this audience, who's there? Some people from Rome. And heaven forbid, people from Rome are converted. It is it is whoever they are that goes back and, um, and God uses to advance his kingdom. It was a church that is the church in Rome is a, a, a mixed church of both uh, slaves and non-slaves. If you can hurriedly find this, I'll show you something you might find interesting in chapter 16, uh, Romans 16. If you'll notice, uh, for instance, he's, he's addressing people in the church. And he says, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus. When the text says, of the household, he's probably addressing slaves. Um, so the church is comprised of Gentiles and Jews, some of which who are slaves. Now, one other thing. Notice, to all who are in Rome, I just draw that to your attention because it does not say to all who are of Rome. It says they're in Rome. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I happen to be in Memphis, but I am not of Memphis. I am not of this kingdom, although I'm in this kingdom. It's interesting, at least his choice of uh, prepositions. Now, um, why does he write to them? And with this, we'll quit. Maybe. Uh, Look, we've seen the author, the recipients, and now why does he write? Notice in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. You want to know why Paul writes, ladies and gentlemen? Because he desires to see the people of God sink down roots. He desires to see them established. You know, gang, conversion is not the end. It's the beginning. Let, let, let me show you one quick thing in um, chapter 16, if you can find it real fast. Romans 16, 7 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the, of the simple. Gang, can you, can you find those people? They're still alive and well today. They're still working on us. But who is it that spots them? It's those who are established. Established, ladies and gentlemen. 
because that's the goal of Paul. And it's the goal of this church to see you sink down some roots. Gang, the great embarrassment of the evangelical world is the slow shallowing of the Christian mind. Our safety is to be found in the deep. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if that's not where you want to go, then you might not want to come back here next week. Because this book is not trying to tell you that Jesus loves you this I know because the Bible tells me so. That's a wonderful message, the most profound message there is. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's not the message of this book. Paul writes to establish. He, he writes to sink down so that they can sink down roots. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, some of these people who are recipients of this book, some of these people who received this letter and read it, were later thrown to lions. Martyrs, ladies and gentlemen, are men who know what they believe. That's why they're martyrs, because truth means so much to them. You know what you believe? If you don't, ladies and gentlemen, do come back here next week. I say one other thing. The author, the recipients, the uh, why he writes it, one other thing, the theme. The theme of this book is mentioned in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul is overtaken with the gospel. He defends it, he defines it, he preaches it, he declares it because he's overcome with the marvel of the gospel. Now, we'll uh, move on from there next week. If you need to leave now, this is the time to do it, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we do love this book. We love it not because uh, it's, it tentilates our intellectual prowess, but because it tells us what you think, what you love, what you hate. And I pray, O oh God, that you will uh, open our eyes, all of us, that we might discover the great beauty of this gospel that we, are, we have participated in. I thank you for a, a room full of people who are serious about their interests in holy things. And I pray that more and more we will find the Word of God our absolute delight. Might it be that which prepares us, establishes us, sinks us, uh, so far uh, rooted into the bedrock of faith that nothing, nothing would ever blow us off center. I thank you again, Father, for the privilege of teaching it and pray that you will use it for the benefit of your people. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night. We'll, um